Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I am Josh Spector. I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. Each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and hopefully I say some stuff that helps them and helps you to grow their audience and business. That's it. No fluff. Lots of actionable tips and strategies that you can put to use. Today, my guest is Emily Klein. Emily is a fiction author who writes about quirky characters who stumble through impossible relationships on their way to happily ever after. You can find her on TikTok and Instagram at M. Klein writes. And before taking the leap into fiction, Emily published nonfiction essays and articles and worked as a ghostwriter. I am super excited to talk to Emily today because we are going to talk all about how authors and writers can use newsletters, use social media, grow their audience. It is a subject that I have a lot of feelings about because I think most people do a terrible job at it and then get frustrated why it's not working. So hopefully I can I can help. So Emily, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity to be here and to, uh, you know, use your brains. So let's get right into it. What is the first thing you want to know? So the first question which you touched upon, which is as a fiction author, what kind of content can I create for readers that is of value that they will want to read? The advice I'm going to give you applies to authors and writers. It also actually applies to anyone that's using social media. But in particular, I think authors and writers... And I'd say artists and that kind of stuff in general, I find a lot of them make the same sort of basic mistake or misconception. And then everything comes from that. And then they go, I don't know, this isn't working. I'm not getting anything. And it's really sort of a root kind of foundational misconception. So let me start by sort of asking you this question. Do you have a newsletter right now or no, not really? I have no, okay. I have nothing. There's two ways to approach it, right? You could aim it at your existing audience or you could use it as a tool to grow your audience. I think what most authors, and I'm not talking about Stephen King and whatever, that's like a whole other thing, right? But I'm talking about people that are trying to build their career or they're established, but they're trying to get bigger and they're trying to grow. What most people do is they say they want to grow their audience but then they write a newsletter that's only speaking to the people who already know who they are. And that's why you'll see most author newsletters, like if you started a newsletter, most likely it would be some version of the Emily Klein newsletter. The problem is if your goal is to grow your audience, no one cares about the Emily Klein newsletter that doesn't know who Emily Klein is. The typical author newsletter is it's the Jane Doe newsletter. And let me tell you about the book that I'm working on. And let me tell you about what I did last Thursday. And I love knitting. And, and it's all about Jane Doe. Then they wonder why, like, why is this not growing? Why am I not attracting an audience? Nobody knows who you are and therefore doesn't care. So if you think about it the other way and go, I'm going to create a newsletter specifically as a tool to attract people who don't know me. I'm going to use this as a way to grow my audience not just as a way to talk to the audience that I already have, however small or big that may be. Now it changes your perspective on what a newsletter is, what it can be, how you're going to use it. And we'll get into some more specific. But I thought one of the best ways to do this is I offer coaching calls. I call them clarity calls, which by the way, if anybody is interested in one, you can go to joshspector.com slash consulting and you can learn more about them and we can potentially book one. 
I don't mean that as a plug, but that is what it is. So what I'm going to do, what I thought to help to answer your question here is I'm going to take you through a very mini version of sort of some of the exercises I do with those clarity calls, which are really designed to help people figure out what do I talk about? What content do I create? What is my messaging? Like, how do I attract these people? So it starts with three questions. And again, we'll do a mini version here of just a couple minutes of what is really like a 90 minute call. So it's a whole other thing. But so I'm going to have you answer three questions just on the fly in order. So the first one is, what's your goal in general? What do you want to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Not related to newsletter or anything like that, but what is what is it that you want to do? I'm going to be a working author, like a career author. So I am paid to write books and also to create content, whether that's a paid newsletter or serialized stories, helping people just escape from their everyday for a few minutes to a few hours. With that goal in mind, who do you think that you need to reach to accomplish that goal? And that feels like such a big question because as an author, like mm-hmm. the obvious is I need all of these readers, but- Okay, so you need readers. So let's get a little more specific. And I'll focus on the book piece, even though I know you want to do multiple things, right? So the ideal type of books you want to read are, how would you describe them? Nonfiction is a whole other world, but fiction is, it's quirky, it's funny. It's like mm-hmm. that Shit's Creek kind of humor. The book I'm working on now, it's a small town, quirky characters. It's a romance, mm-hmm. but there's like dead bodies piling up in the back. So there's like this mystery romance, but very quirky, over the top. They're just fun reads. They're not reads for you to get like the meaning of life. So to your point of who do you need to reach to accomplish the goal, the goal being to write and publish successfully those sorts of books. Yes, you need readers, but ultimately you need the types of readers that like those types of books. So you're already narrowing it. So if we're feeling like, oh, I need readers and readers is this massive thing. You actually need a subsection of readers who are interested in the kind of books that you want to to write. And in thinking that through, you can go a step further and you can use examples of the kinds of people that like X, Y, and Z book. I don't know that market well enough to know, but I'm sure you know the kinds of people that like this person's book or this author are the kind of people that I would need to and want to reach. So you can think through in your own terms how you define that. You know it in your head and you just probably haven't really thought about it. Define who those readers are in that way. It's fine for it to be broad in general. One of the terms that I noticed, I think, in looking at your website or something of yours, you use the term upmarket fiction, which admittedly, I didn't even know what that was. So I had to Google what is up what is upmarket fiction, which is a separate issue that will like, not issue, but a separate thing that we'll get into. I'm sure writers know what that term means and publishers. Yeah, I would never. I mean, that was really more like history-facing language. I would never use that with a reader because it doesn't mean anything for a reader. It's like doctor thinking like like medicalese (laughs) to each other. Yeah, I wouldn't get into that language. So then let's get to the third question, which would be with those people in mind, what we'll just call your ideal readers, what do they value? What do they want? Besides, they want to read books that entertain them. But what is it that they're looking for? The editor I work with, Mm -hmm. and this answers your question, but in a roundabout way. So the editor I work with, in a lot of the scenes, she puts in the margin, like, Mm -hmm. what do you want the reader to feel here? And so, and that's what you're crafting it around, the feeling of the reader, not even necessarily Mm -hmm. like of the character. For my books, because they're genre romance, they're going to have a happily ever after. So my readers want 
that happily ever after. They want that break from life. They want to feel hopeful that in these like horrible, crazy situations the characters find themselves in, that there is hope that these people can come together and figure out how to make it work. If you're asking what mm -hmm. problem basically I'm like solving for them, I think they want a break from life. They want to break from their boredom. On a side of that, or, or I guess if you zoom out, that's what they want in these books. That's what's drawing them to these types of books. But also what they want if you zoom out is they want, how do I find more books like that? I like this particular style, this particular thing. How do I how do I get more of it? How do I know which ones are worth my time and which ones aren't worth my time? So when you have that in mind, your newsletter, again, this is where you break from. It's not the Emily Klein newsletter. It's the ultimate newsletter for readers of the types of books that you write. So when, when we go back to the original question of what should my emails be? What should my newsletter be? We'll do a complete hypothetical here. If you own the newsletter okay. that those types of readers, however you define them, fans of romance, quirky, funny, whatever, the ultimate newsletter for them, if you happen to own it, would change everything for you. So that's the newsletter Definitely. that you want to create and write. And this is the big difference that most authors don't do. So for example, you start thinking about what would the ultimate newsletter for those readers look like? And I'm just riffing here. It might include recommendations of those kinds of books. It might include news about those kinds of books. It might include reviews of those kinds of books. It might include behind the scenes stories, not necessarily just from you, but from authors that they know. Did you know X, Y, and Z about this thing? It might include interviews with authors of those types of books. It might surface, again, recommendations like, oh, if you love this book, here's five more books that you also might love. There is an overlap in this space, and we'll talk about this more in a second, but there is an overlap with readers and writers. Your main audience is readers, although some of those people are also writers. So it could include advice for writers that want to write those kinds of books. There's also some overlap with industry. So it's interesting to think about what would the industry that publishes these kinds of books, what could be in a newsletter that those people would be like, I, the agents, the publishers, the whatever, I got to subscribe to this newsletter. But that is the newsletter that you want to create. Going back to the original point of growing an audience versus talking to your existing fans. Because if you create that, a newsletter is just a value delivery tool. So if you create this thing that provides value to those people, it's going to attract them. And when you attract them, that's who you need to reach. I'm just reverse engineering the questions now. That's who you need to reach to ultimately accomplish your goal. And that's how you will ultimately get readers and, and build that audience. You can imagine how, again, the core thing here is... It's not about you. It's about attracting the people that you need and want to reach. Does that make sense? It does. And so it's not about my writing or feeling like I have to create yep. like a new story every single week. That's yeah. like publish read for people to read. I'm sure if you're writing those kind of books, it's in part, I'm sure, because you're a fan of those kinds of books. So think about what would be the newsletter that would be a no brainer for you to subscribe to and then create that. I, and I get a little, I think the recommendations are a good idea, but there's also like a lot of places mm -hmm. where readers go for recommendations, but maybe not as specific. Mm -hmm. So you can always go narrower, go broader, put a spin on it, right? So this is a random example. 
you might say, look, there's a million places where people get recommendations of this kind of book, but maybe my newsletter is only about, I have no idea, but maybe your books have the protagonist is usually a professional woman. So maybe you go, I'm going to only focus on the books with protagonists that are professional women, or I'm going to only focus on the books that are, I'm not saying this is it, right? But imagine if you had the, we talked about you being from Jersey, right? So if all your books were set in Jersey, you might go, you know what? I'm going to focus on books that are like Jersey characters in this niche. Like you can go narrow at the key is the alignment with what you ultimately write and do and it becomes unique and by the way the more narrow and unique you become the more newsworthy it becomes because now maybe the local new jersey news has zero interest in interviewing emily klein just another writer but emily klein who writes a newsletter all about this version of Jersey stories, they might go, you know what? We should interview her. Because ultimately, you don't need everybody. No, you don't. And I think I just was missing, totally missing the point of like, or when I would think of marketing, it's like I understood the necessity to like Mm -hmm. niche down my reader, Mm -hmm. but not my content. And so that's actually like a big light bulb for me because like they need to match. And so the content be niched also. So that's real value. And I think, again, once you realize that your quote unquote marketing doesn't have to be about you, that it doesn't. And we're going to talk about social media in a a second. Number one, it's really freeing because it's hard. The obvious question of like, how do I provide value to people? Do I just give them more of my stories? Do I give them more of whatever? And not that that's not valuable, but it's like, again, that shift from how do I track the people I want to discover me versus how am I just promoting myself or talking about myself really changes the way you approach it. So the second thing just Mm -hmm. segues right into social media. So what's a good mindset or approach or basically just what we did now with the emails? I think one thing is with social media, most people, and this is not just true of authors, this is true of everyone, right? What most people do on social media and the way they use it is they mimic what they see big, successful people doing. So most authors go, oh, I'm going to do what that big author does. I'm going to use social media in that way. And what they don't realize is using social media as someone who is already established, successful, has an audience, famous, whatever, is completely different than using it as someone who people don't know. I used to do a lot of work with comedians, and you would see this all the time, right? And they'd be like, Well, those comics just post jokes, so I'll just post jokes. But those comics didn't build an audience by posting jokes. They built an audience because they have a show on NBC. Like, it's a totally different thing. Like, they have massive followings, usually because of something they did off of social media. They're not actually that good at using social media. So if you have a big established audience, the way you're going to use social media is going to be completely different than if you're trying to grow your audience. Think about How can I use this to attract people who don't know me versus, hey, here's what I had for lunch today. I'm working on the sequel with a character that you have no idea who this person is. Why would you care? The other big trap to avoid, and almost all creators fall into this, but I think especially authors and writers, is they create content that appeals to other authors and writers and not readers. And there is overlap. So yes, some reader writers tend to be readers and whatever. And again, it's not just authors. I would see this with comedians all the time. They're posting jokes about, or not even just jokes, but they're, they're going on a rant about the frustrations of open mic night. Your audience does, isn't going to open mic night. They're not performing. They don't care about 
any of that, but they're getting feedback. And you see this again with authors as well, right? They're talking about the frustrations of writer's block and their author friends go, oh, I like that and reply. And they think it's like engaging, but they're not actually growing anything because they're just talking to their own little community. So it's a completely understandable trap, but it's a trap. So I looked a little at your TikTok and by no means is this a criticism, but just when you look at it through this filter, and by the way, the content was good. You posted something about trying to write without an outline. And I think you were just sitting there like with, no with nothing to do, which is a good, clever post, makes sense. I'm sure other writers are like, oh, I can completely relate to that. But readers, in terms of growing and attracting your audience, that doesn't relate to them. So tonally, the hardcore reader going back to like your ideal audience yeah. can relate to when is the new book arriving. So tonally, that has that's right. going to resonate. So it's channeling your creativity and what content you're creating to resonate with readers as opposed to resonating with writers. Because if the one about waiting for a book to arrive were to like catch on and get traction, it's going to get traction amongst the ideal audience. Whereas the outline one is going to get traction amongst other writers, most of whom probably don't write the books, types of books that you write anyway. Just keeping that in mind of I'm going to create social posts designed to align with the, the audience that I really want and need. The other question to ask yourself with social strategy, and you can ask this on a micro level of every single post, not to deter yourself, but just in general, the question is like, why would someone who doesn't know me or my work follow me if they saw this or would they? That helps you avoid the, I'm just talking about my project or my book or my whatever, because the person that doesn't know you is not going to care about that. So if we run the, I'm just using the example of like the video about waiting for your books to arrive, the person who's a hardcore reader is going to look at that and they're going to go, oh, that's funny. I relate to this person. That's going to yeah. click. Yeah. Whereas if you were to do a piece of content, that was you talking about, let's say you had a character named like Susie, right? And you're like, I had such a Susie moment today. That could be the greatest post ever. But if they don't know who Susie is, it's not going to get you anything. So a few examples. Yeah. And again, I think most, it's tough finding examples of people who do this stuff well. Because number one, if they're already like big and established, they're playing a different game. And the truth is most people aren't doing it that well. So... Mm -hmm. But I do have some examples to, to consider. So one is, do you know who Ryan Holiday is? So he's a, he's like a non nonfiction yeah, author. By the way, fiction authors in general, I find to be even worse at this than nonfiction authors, but that's a whole, that's a whole separate story. I think nonfiction authors have the advantage of they tend to be writing about things that have, they're not just their own creation. So it is a different thing. Well, nonfiction yeah. authors, because I, I was a worst writer for nonfiction authors and think one thing that they have going for them is they have content that educational or, or inspirational or both and hopefully right. also entertaining so they get all it's things easier. that you need on social. Things interesting about Ryan Holiday as an example. By the way, he has a great book called Perennial Seller, which I strongly recommend. The first book is about how to create work that lasts and continues to sell like forever and forever. Why is Catcher in the Rye still one of the best-selling books every year? What is it about these books and these products that some of them continue to sell forever where others might be big hits, but then they disappear? So the first half is all about creating work that sort of lasts. And then the second half is how do you market stuff that lasts? 
And he does it across all writing, authors, music, like everything, right? He's like, why did all these bands fade away? And the Grateful Dead was continuing. So it's really interesting. And he does smart stuff. But Ryan, and he has a couple newsletters now, but specifically, he literally years ago started a reading recommendation email that was just him recommending books. Now, again, this was earlier. There's more competition in that space now. Like you may want to niche it down. It wasn't the Ryan Holiday newsletter and I'm going to just tell you stuff. It was, I'm going to give you book recommendations, which he built. He attracted 50,000 followers who were looking for reading recommendations, which comes in handy when you then have a book to sell. That's a perfect example of what I mean about attracting the audience. The other thing he did is he has really popular, I don't know how many, like hundreds of thousands of subscribers, I think, daily stoic email. So he wrote the book, The Obstacle of the Way is the Way, and got way into stoicism. And he has a newsletter that is just a daily, like, stoicism quote observation. But again, not the Ryan Holiday newsletter. So from attracting a new audience, people that don't know who he is, but is interested in stoicism. The other thing about that one that's really smart is because it connects to his book. If you read the Daily Stoic newsletter, you're probably going to buy his book. But also if you buy his book, he's given people a reason to subscribe Here's the newsletter. So he's getting email addresses from all. I think the book actually even promotes the newsletter. So that sort of connection. So that's the other thing you can think Mm -hmm. about is as you put books out there, let's say you have, you decide that your niche is this like Jersey stories, whatever. The person that buys it and reads it and go, hey, I have a newsletter where I recommend other Jersey stories and Jersey romance, quirky, whatever, however you define it. You've given readers a reason to give you their email address which I think another thing as authors have sales in their books that they fail to do. Most cases, probably they have more people buying their books than they have on their email list. So that can help that. Another example, again, not a fiction writer, but Austin Kleon. Are you familiar with him at all? He's got a bunch of them that are really about creative process, I guess I would say. And he has a newsletter where he's just sharing 10 things each week that he found interesting that are all about creativity, creative process. He'll include maybe a link to a blog post he wrote, but for the most part, he's curating stuff. And anyone that's interested in the creative process, he's going to attract the audience he wants, who's then ultimately going to be interested in his books. Another example, and both of those are a little more newsletter geared than social media. There's definitely overlap. John August, who's a screenwriter, he has built like an empire. He has a podcast. He's really active on social media. And what he does is he his social stuff does skew a little bit to other writers, other screenwriters, storytellers, that kind of stuff. So it's a little less audience focused. He's sort of become a kingpin, for lack of a better word. And he stands out compared to other screenwriters because he's built this big following and this big audience for his podcast, for his content, because it's all about helping people become better writers and storytellers and all that kind of stuff. Whereas most screenwriters probably don't even have an email list. So he's separated himself from just being yet another screenwriter. And then the last one is a musician, Nick Cave. He has a newsletter called The Red Hand Files. And all he does in his newsletter is answer questions from fans. 
And sometimes they're about his work. Sometimes they're about like, what did this lyric mean? Or literally each issue, he just takes one or two questions and writes a couple paragraphs answering them. Steve wants to know, what the hell did I mean when I wrote this lyric? What's interesting about it is it's also a lot of the questions have nothing to do with him or his music. So it'll be like, Johnny asked, what's the meaning of life? He definitely has. And again, he's established, so it's a little different than a, a newcomer. But there's a feeling that it exists in this sort of Nick Cave universe, that even the questions that aren't about him are relevant to people that see the world or are curious to see the world the way that he sees it. So again, I'm not saying that it'd be that format. All of those are examples where they're really speaking to a specific audience and it's designed to attract them. You don't have to know or be interested in Riot Holiday to be interested in a stoicism newsletter. It's not about Austin Kleon. His newsletter is about the creative process. And so those are some examples of things you may want to consider. The other big thing I should say with social media, the other big difference compared to a newsletter is your ability to reply to other people and get in front of not just connect with them, but get in front of their audiences. So for example, if there is an author that you're like, her audience would be would love my books. If they like her books, they'd like my books. You should be following her and replying to her stuff. Let's say that person uses social media regularly, not to necessarily connect to her, but all the people that are commenting on her posts like her books and would like your books. So for example, like, again, it depends on who the person is, but paying attention to that and using social media in that way go where the people are, as opposed to just trying to get people to constantly come to you. But the key is, again, to do it in a way that is not just, oh, I'm going to go reply to ever, to all her commenters and be like, hey, go check out my books. But as a genuine person and provide value and say something interesting, they're going to go, oh, who's this Emily person? And they're going to go check you out. And you know that that's another huge advantage of social media. People spend a lot of time thinking about what am I going to post as opposed to where are my people hanging out and where can I go find and engage with them? Yeah, no, that's actually a great point because you hear a lot of common and become friendly mm -hmm. with the influencers yeah. in your genre, which is valuable. But I like this idea yep. of even getting closer to the reader. Yeah. I mean, not like in a creepy way, but no way that's, yeah. what are you interested in? Building that relationship and but like an authentic relationship. And so I like that idea of just really yeah. going where the readers are. There was a comic I knew and he was a big Cubs fan. And so I said to him, you're watching the Cub games and you're tweeting basically jokes and funny stuff and commentary like a fan would, but you're a comic, so you're actually funny and whatever. But the only people are seeing this are your followers. And some of your followers might be Cubs fans, but hey, there's a Facebook group with 40,000 Cubs fans. Maybe go to the Cubs fan Facebook group and not only start posting your thoughts there, but replying, there's this group where all these people are going, oh, we got to get rid of this relief pitcher and this guy sucks and this guy whatever. And you have a take on it. And here's what's going to happen. Number one, 40,000 people who are interested in the Cubs are going to see your comments about the Cubs. Your audience is there. and They're going to go, who's this guy? The second thing that's going to happen is because you're a professional comedian, in your case, a professional writer of these kinds of books and whatever – chances are your stuff's going to be better and more interesting than the other stuff that's being posted in that community in that group. Very quickly, if you're doing it regularly, again, as a part of the community, not as some guy coming in and just promoting his go watch my stand-up special, go buy my book, whatever, right? 
you're going to very quickly stand out and get noticed and algorithms and all that stuff is going to start working for you because all the likes and engagement, you're going to start surfacing to the top of those groups. And very quickly, you're going to become known in that world, which is people who are going to be interested in your kind of stuff. So that idea of going where your people are, as opposed to posting into the void and trying to get <laughs> trying to get people to randomly find you, yeah, goes back to the beginning is once you flip that mindset to this is who I want to reach, I'm going to go find them and provide value to them versus I'm going to just keep telling people about Emily and hope that people somehow discover it. Totally different, not complicated, just different mindset wise. I'm at, and I'm like actually considering changing okay. of my story because I think the Jersey characters thing is so funny. I'll Great. give you an acknowledgement if I do it. But <laughs> but I'm thinking like when I'm niching down, this you're gonna be like, this is a crazy question. I'm like thinking about it sounds nuts, but how far away from books can I get? As an author, can you get away from being an author, mm -hmm. so to speak, online? You're aiming for your ideal audience but it's not going to necessarily be your only audience, right? You're still going to get other people. So like when I talk to people and this is both like business or, or art or whatever it is, that's who you want to align with. So the truth is, let's just take the Jersey thing, right? If you created a newsletter that was about Jersey and not about Jersey books or Jersey stories, you will attract people who are interested in Jersey and a certain percentage of them maybe readers. Let's say your books skew female. I don't know if they do, but I'm guessing and assuming, right? Let's say they skew female. And let's say I was a Jersey guy, God forbid. If you write, if you write a newsletter about Jersey stuff, you might attract me. And I'm probably not going to buy your books because they're aimed at females. But maybe my Jersey wife would read it. Or maybe I wouldn't typically read books that skew female. But I might read this one because I the Jersey part might attract me. If you had the choice of I could have a thousand subscribers who are Jersey book readers, or I could have a thousand subscribers who are female Jersey book readers and your book skews female, I'd rather have the thousand that's the perfect fit. But that doesn't mean that the not perfect fit doesn't create value. So it's not an either or. If you were writing about the Cubs, I'd rather have Cub fans who are book readers than Cub fans in general. It'd be more aligned. I'd rather have a thousand Cub fans, some of whom are book readers than 12 Emily fans. And I really, I do do that exercise a lot of times with people where I'll say, I could introduce 500 people to your work, in your case, your book, right? If I said, I'll introduce 500 people to your book, they can't be anyone who knows you and they can't be anyone famous, who do you want? You're going to say, I want people that like X, Y, and Z. You're going to pick the people that would be most likely to enjoy it, which is probably not going to be the person that doesn't read books. But right. it doesn't mean that you have to focus right. on books. You're just, yeah, you're trying no, to find you, that sort of ideal and aim for that and you'll still get other people. I think my point is when you look like romance right. is like one of the biggest book categories. And so even if you niche down, mm -hmm. there's a million subcategories and ways to niche it down, it still feels like huh? you're what many. But if I were to take another interest and then say, hey, yep. amongst this group, 
I'm sure there's a percentage of people who also would want to read a story like this. But you could go, I'm launching the Jersey Stories newsletter and it's going to have two sections or two items. And the first item is going to be some crazy Jersey story about something that happened, whatever. It doesn't even have to be something you create, right? It could be a link to like, where do you read this crazy Jersey story? And the second one's going to be about a Jersey book. So you've got two pieces. You've got the book people coming in because they want the book thing, but you've also got the broader audience of the people who are just interested in Jersey stories. So you don't have to, you can, depending how you structure your newsletter or whatever you're going to do, and it's all in how you define yourself. So you could define your niche as people that are interested in Jersey stories is different than people who are interested in Jersey books, even though there's an overlap. It's flexible. Yeah. No, I see that. Yeah. I like the direction. I like that. Yeah. It does give you more flexibility and it also allows you to, I'm going to say the word authentic, but that might not be the right word, but it it allows you to be more of yourself in the marketplace. All of a sudden, everything, not only social posts and newsletter, everything becomes easier. You go, oh, maybe I'll have the Jersey Story podcast and it's going to have a story and it's going to have authors coming on telling their Jersey stories. And all of a sudden, again, for we're really talking about branding here. All of a sudden, you're not another romance author. Yeah. You're the Jersey Stories lady. Well, yeah, and that's my point is that there's so many romance authors and there's so, I mean, there's so many authors and then so many romance mm-hmm. authors and they're all amazing. It's like the great... Yeah. It's great company to keep. But when you look out into mm-hmm. the ocean, it's overwhelming to think, well, who am I in this in this group? How would I ever like break through? And I think coming forward with something that is another aspect of me or another interest I have. And by the way, from an industry or publisher standpoint, because they're trying to figure out ultimately, how do I market this stuff? So if they're looking at two books that are good and they go, oh, this one has a hook. This is the Jersey story thing. If you get into paid audience growth tactics and let's say you're like, I have the Jersey stories newsletter and I want to grow it. Well, maybe I'll target Bruce Springsteen fans who live in New Jersey. All of a sudden, if you did that exact same thing with the Emily Klein newsletter, they don't care. The Jersey Stories newsletter, and you're targeting, again, I'm just using this as an example, you're targeting Bruce Springsteen fans who live in New Jersey and who are book readers and who are women. So, I and I I actually love this idea because I think it's really funny, but where do you go beyond New Jersey then? People who don't live here, they probably don't want to know about New Jersey. Again, this is also ideal versus only, right? So here's a perfect example. Think about all those people who watch The Sopranos that did not live in Soprano land. For a certain audience, they were watching because, oh, I relate to this. And by the way, not just like New Jersey, but people who live on the East Coast. They know people from like, but there's also other stuff. People are going to buy your books, not just because it's about Jersey, They're going to buy their books because they also like that type of book and those types of characters. So what you're creating is you're creating, I always use the dartboard analogy, you're creating a bullseye to aim for, but you're still get points when you land outside. You're still going to get an audience that isn't that perfect fit. But when you don't create a perfect fit, it's like people don't, you just fade into the crowd and you're just another writer writing those kind of books. By the way, the other thing with social is it can become collaborative. All you're trying to do is build a connection to an audience so that when you have something to promote, 
when you want to tell them about your book, which especially in the case of books is not that often. I heard somebody, I forget who it was, but on some podcast and they were talking about, they're like, if you're working on a book, like you should be spending a year attracting the audience that you want for that book. And then you're promoting it to, you're then promoting it to an existing book. You're not promoting the book. If you go down the Jersey route, you're like, I'm going to attract these people. So how can I build an audience for this thing? I don't have to sell them anything. Just like what is fun and cool and interesting and someone that was interested in this sort of Jersey girl life or whatever going to follow. And there's a million ways to do that. And by the way, it also is way more fun, which makes you more likely to do it than what most people do, which is like worked on my outline today. Here you go. And I, right, I have see? a post like that. So, all right. So I know your mind is racing. Let's get to your third question and we'll speed through it. Okay. So what is your third question? So if I have mm-hmm. my general email, we call it, and then let's say I want to start mm-hmm. like a, a paid subscription email as like another revenue source. It's obviously different depending on what you're doing, but I think the big takeaway for me, and I learned this sort of the hard way because I started off doing what everyone else does and then was like, wait, there's a better way to do this. People don't want more. They want different. So the default that people go to with paid newsletters, right. they go, oh, I one issue a week is free and two issues a week are if you're a paid subscriber. That causes all sorts of problems. Number one, people don't just want more, even if they find it valuable, like they're just don't, they're not really going to pay for more. Number two, it creates all sorts of problems for the creator because now you're like, what do I write about for free and what's behind the paywall and what's not? And it's just a mess. So in general, I think you want to, your monetization of an email list, because that's really what we're talking about, is what can I offer people that is different, that is valuable to them as opposed to just more of whatever it is. Typically, if you want people to pay something, obviously you have to create value for them. And that value is usually rooted in some sort of transformation. That's why most educational content tends to work much better than entertainment content when it comes to monetization. You're helping them accomplish some goal. You're helping them get from point A to point B. Entertainment, while yes, it's valuable, doesn't really do that. So it can work, but it's much harder, right? So this idea that an author is going to be like, oh, I'm going to have this newsletter and I'm going to every week, I'm going to give you a short story or every month I'm going to give you a short story and you're going to pay for that. You can do that, but it's an uphill battle. This is where as much as I'm, I was saying on social and your newsletter, not to just speak to other writers, monetization is though is where you could do that. So you might have an opportunity if you feel like you can teach other writers things that you might go, my free content is aimed at fiction readers, Jersey girls, whatever it is. My paid content, whether that be a newsletter, whether it be a course, whether it be whatever, is aimed at other writers like me. If you feel like you have expertise to share. And on a side note, I would argue that Everyone has expertise to share because there's always people that are a little behind you. So even if you haven't made it huge and have some big, huge advance and whatever, if you've only written one book, there's people that don't know how to write their first book and you could teach them how to write their first book. So a lot of people go, how could I sell educational content? I haven't made it myself. I haven't succeeded. You're further along than somebody. Like the example I use, which is completely extreme, is like the person who has only written one blog post still has expertise compared to the person who doesn't even know how to set up their blog, doesn't even know how to, they haven't even written one blog post. So there's always, it's a spectrum and you can always find those people that are further behind you. So if you're thinking about how do I monetize my stuff, I would be thinking about what's different, not more, 
I would be thinking about, do you go the educational route to help other writers? One example of this is Kaylee Moore, who I had on my podcast recently, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And she's a, she's a freelance writer. So her social content and that stuff is mostly aimed at businesses and potential clients who might hire her, but she has a whole slate of paid products aimed at helping freelance writers, helping them figure out how to get work, helping them become better writers. So there's that dividing line of I'm in your scenario would be my free stuff is aimed at growing my audience of people who are going to want to buy my books. But from a monetization standpoint, I have this other thing that is aimed at other writers. That's one way to do it. But the other thing to consider is, again, your paid product doesn't have to be a newsletter and probably shouldn't be. I don't love paid newsletters because you have to keep doing it every week, every month or whatever. I would prefer, not prefer, I would more often recommend if you are going to sell your expertise, create a course, do a video workshop, something that you could do. You could very easily create a presentation, record yourself giving it in an hour about whatever topic you feel like you have some expertise on, how to write your first book, how to whatever it is, and you're done. And you can sell it forever to other writers. That is, a, to me, is a yes, you don't have subscription recurring revenue and all that kind of stuff, but that is a much better model to me from use of your time than I'm going to have a paid newsletter and every time I got to write a thing and do a thing. You can also sell those kind of courses or workshops as a subscription version as well. So I offered skill sessions, which another plug, people can check out at joshspector.com slash sessions. But all they are is their one hour video workshops on a specific topic. I do one every two months. You can buy them individually for $50 or you can subscribe and get all of them and get to come live on Zoom and ask questions for 150 a year. So I'm doing six a year, not overwhelming, six one hour real time presentations. It's a, both a subscription product and an on-demand product. There's different ways you can do it, but I think all of that is probably a better approach than a paid newsletter. The other thing I would say is if you don't want to go the educational product route, if you succeed in growing an audience for your now new Jersey girl, Jersey story, whatever thing, if you attract an audience of fiction readers or in a specific niche or whatever it is, there's probably a lot of people that would want to reach them. So you may be able to monetize just through sponsorships in that newsletter. And it's probably a better, easier monetization path than creating a separate product, unless that's like the way that you want to go. And you can think about yourself, right? If your book comes out and someone will forget even the Jersey thing, let's just say whatever your, however you define your niche of readers and someone had a newsletter of 5,000 subscribers who love those kind of books, how much would you pay to get them to mention your book to them? It'd be worth something. Building an audience is such an asset for you individually, but also that can be monetized in all sorts of ways, especially in your field where it's like all these people, and by the way, including publishers, you could build this newsletter, get it up to whatever it is, a few thousand subscribers, and there might be a publisher who they have new books coming out all the time. And you could go to them and you could say, look, I don't want to deal with selling sponsors and all this stuff. Let's make a deal. You guys can essentially, they don't own it, but you can book a six month, a one year sponsorship. And every week we're going to promote one of your books. And if I'm a publisher, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, you got to find the right price, but, but it all comes back to attracting that audience of people that want a certain thing. 
And once you have that, then a lot of other opportunities come into place. And I love that idea of really leveraging the full mm -hmm. value of the list where I'm creating value for the readers, but then there's also yeah. value for potential sponsors or advertisers. So I like that idea. I also really love the idea of not making it like Emily author, but yeah. Emily Jersey girl or what I feel like Emily, whatever it is, because it does give you more flexibility in terms of what you can, like the spinoff products, basically of what you can provide. And that's yeah. fun. Well, that feels fun and creative. It opens up so many opportunities for you. It differentiates you again within the industry. It also will show, because again, publishers are also looking, how hard is this author going to work? Okay, she wrote a book. It shows that you have some marketing savvy. It shows that you have an audience. I just think it will help on so many levels. I don't know. It's major for books. Yeah, I mean, in nonfiction, they look at your platform more, but I feel like mm -hmm. they're starting to look more at fiction. And regardless of if you self-publish and you publish, traditionally published, yeah. you are expected to market. Just imagine if you had 2000 Jersey Girl type readers sending you stories <laughs> and sending you like, oh my God, this, it's going to have, have so, so many benefits that like you can't even predict. Yeah, I, I, and I love this idea. It's so it's so much more it's fun, creative than I mean, yeah. dare I say what people think of marketing. It feels really creative. Tell so people I, where they can find you now until you totally relaunch and re all your all your stuff. I'm less on Instagram, but I will be on more and basically cool. TikTok now. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. My newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. I've already promoted my skill sessions in here obnoxiously, joshspector.com slash sessions. If you would like to do a clarity call, which you got a little minor taste of in this episode, joshspector.com slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. If you would like to come on this podcast and ask me three questions, I will help you change the setting of your book, apparently. joshspector.com slash questions. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Emily, for being here. I will see you next week.